Welcome to the Gym Wits Podcast. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic. And I'm Tony Marinucci, a.k.a. Tips with Tony, your registered dietitian. And we are the Gym Wits. Somehow when, when it's the three of us, my brain doesn't register that I always Forget. say, and we are the Gym Wits. <laughs> and so I'm always like, you know, kind of stuck, paused, uh, without anything to say. Um, but yeah, Justin, so tell everybody about your, your weird plan. Well, it's not a plan. I'm just ashamed, or I was ashamed, to talk to uh, Emmeline because I've been eating meat. So um, I didn't want her to judge me, even though I know intellectual that intellectually that she uh, doesn't do that and she's going to be okay with everything. I'm still, uh, still ashamed. Yeah, well, I guess a little context. We have, we're interviewing Emmeline Peaches, who's been on the podcast before, and she's uh, in one of the episodes we actually talked about veganism, and she's a vegan. Justin, uh, recently, if you're a big listener of the podcast, you'll know all this stuff. If not, maybe you know maybe you've listened to some and not others. Justin decided to switch over to. to vegan-ish or mostly no, I was vegan. vegetarian or vegetarian okay vegetarian um, and for reasons uh, he's come back to eating meat he's come back to the light um, and so he's ashamed and he did not want to say anything he, he I think it was just like attention seeking kind of like um, by, by his absence uh, you know kind of conspicuous by his absence um, Emmeline would ask, where's Justin? Uh, because she wouldn't hear from him for the entire podcast. And you guys could listen and hear how that played out. <laughs> Not very well. Quite interesting. <laughs> All right, well, anyway, I guess we'll get right to it. Uh, it's a fun interview. Um, we, we discuss a, a fairly serious topic um, with a little moment of levity. Um, when, when Justin, well, I'll just let you guys listen. Yeah. So without definitely further ado, definitely a serious topic. Definitely serious <laughs> yeah, definitely topic. Very serious topic. topic. But yeah, but, it's a very serious topic. All right. Well, um, without further ado, here's Emmeline Peaches. So we're here with Emmeline Peaches. Emmeline, how are you? Uh, not too bad, thank you. Yourselves? Oh, great. I'm doing really well. Um, so this is your. This is a first. I think uh, this is your third time on the podcast. So it I think you were, you were tied with somebody else for two, but I think um, now you are you have the record for for most appearances on the Jim Witch podcast. So congratulations! Oh my gosh. For what <laughs> I feel honored. Thank <laughs> <Yeah>. you. That's <laughs> <He's> awesome. <laughs> oh, I'm blessed. Thank you. I'm blushing. How was your marathon? Oh, it was it was brilliant. Yeah, it went, it went really really well, and the route was absolutely lovely. I I couldn't have asked for a better marathon, to be honest with you, and. Um, I beat my previous time, not that I, I, I go to time, but I beat it by about 45, um, coming up to 50 minutes, I think. Oh, so, wow. yeah, huge. That's huge. Yeah. Did, <laughs> I know, I know. Did, bit, you do, did you do anything different with your training? Because, yeah, 45 minutes is huge. Is, did you do anything different uh, as far as get, kind of getting prepared for this one? Oh, completely different. Yeah. So, for this one, I actually trained, which I do hear helps. <laughs> So the previous one, the aspiration was to train, but um, and I'll actually bring it up later in our discussion. Um, um, leading into my first marathon, I was actually struggling with an eating disorder, so uh, it was a bit harder to get around the course. But um, so this time, having now recovered, it, it's um, it's probably helped a lot, and also the actual putting in the training, doing it sensibly, and. All of the good things that we recommend when someone wants to run a marathon. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, cool. I guess that's a, a great segue into our uh, discussion. So today we're going to talk about eating disorders. Um, and I guess before we really get into the science and the statistics and the information that, that you and also Tony um, can, can share, share with us, um, can you tell us a little bit about your own personal experience with eating disorders and kind of how it steered you into the kind of path you're on now? I absolutely can, yes. Um, so um, I'd obviously want to put out a little bit of a disclaimer that obviously for anyone who is currently struggling with an eating disorder or who thinks they might have some issues, this might be distressing content. But I also yeah. feel that it's quite helpful content and I think that it can be quite empowering content as well because what I will say is that there is a way out and um, there are systems in place that can help you. So, And I'm going to hopefully be able to talk about some of that today. But for me, my eating disorder, um, it stems from quite a surprising place because it, it came um, while I was physically in quite a good place with my body and with my performance, but mentally I was struggling. So I would consider it to be one of the low mental health points in my life. I previously had issues with anxiety and depression, as I'm sure many people have, one in four people they believe now. Um, I was in a good place with that, but I was in quite an abusive relationship at the time, and that was really hurting my self-esteem. Um, and then I actually had my first incident of um, food-related binging when I actually got a hormonal contraceptive inserted into my body. Um, I don't want to discourage anyone from trying it, the coil specifically, and the binge was quite a shock at the time because I was seeing a, uh, a dietitian. Um, I, my body was in a good place. I was regulating my life. And then all of a sudden I had this binge and it was crazy and scary, but also quite mm, an empowering thing in a difficult time in my life because the food that I had binged on was food that I enjoyed. And, it, it, and in the start... It felt like this amazing, yummy, delicious thing because who out of us doesn't every now and then just go a little bit crazy mm. <laughs> with some food that they absolutely love? And so when it happened a few more times, I wasn't alarmed. But then gradually I started to realize I was losing control of that. I was losing control of my relationship with my food. And then as a result, I was trying to deprive myself of food during times when I shouldn't. And as things were getting worse in my relationship, food and my body became things I was trying to control my life through in a negative way. And the more I wanted to shrink away emotionally, the more I was trying to shrink away physically as well. And obviously, when we starve our body, it's trying to survive. So eventually, you will start consuming food. And it was probably a healthy amount of food calorie-wise. But when you feel like you don't have control, that's when it becomes a problem and that's when it became more distressing. So it eventually got to a point where I said to myself, I need help. And I went to the doctors that day and I went to a peer support group in the area and basically tried to sort it out as soon as I possibly could. And thus started my road to recovery from quite a dark period, it's actually. It's not uncommon, like what you just said, a lot of times... Eating disorders usually stem from either mental illness or just a stressful time in life because, like you said, food is the one thing that we can control, and it becomes like that easy kind of escape mechanism that we can utilize. So 
I mean, that's that. Um, you should be proud of yourself for getting help as soon as you did. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I completely agree. What most people don't recognize when it comes to eating disorders is that really it's not about technically the body and it's not about the food. It's about the fact that we are right, seeking exactly. a negative coping tactic to deal with we can't control in life. And it just so happens that a food and body image are the things that we've focused on. And sadly, right. it's so easy to do so in our, in our current society because we are so focused on um, problematic eating or bodily or behavioral patterns when it comes to that yeah, I mean, aspect like your of our life. is the most tangible thing that we can focus on. It's like an easy, to be honest, it's more of an easy out. Like you're really saying I'm sad or I'm depressed or I'm anxious, but you don't really even know why. Sometimes there's not even a real reason. So being able to like take it out on your body is just like the, it's just like the, it's there, it's available. So that's why people do it. But it might not be even what they want to do. It's just the only thing they know how to do to help them feel better. Completely. And I think to some degree, we do, even those with a healthy relationship with food, we seek out food as comfort and we do prescribe positive relationships to it. And even those who don't have eating disorders might have disordered eating behaviors. And it's just where that goes in life and how we feel about yeah. that and our relationship Absolutely. with it. I think disordered eating is more common than eating disorders. Definitely. Sometimes there's a fine line though and it um it hurts diagnosis. Um one of the things that really um troubles me is that oftentimes it seems like there is no path towards help until you have actually got to that point of um going past disordered eating and getting into a full-on eating disorder whereas really we want to try and help people with their relationship with their food as where, early on now, as where's the line can. if someone doesn't really know much about about the subject like where is the line between you know kind of what's considered disordered eating versus like what can be diagnosed as an eating disorder Tony could probably speak to this better than I could, having the um, the basis as a registered dietitian. But there are a set of psychological criteria and um, physiological criteria in some cases that you need to meet in order to be diagnosed with certain eating disorders. So the um, eating disorders that are currently recognized in the UK, as far as I know, are anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, and then we have... Um, OSFED, which is otherwise specified feeding or eating disorders, which is what people basically get clustered into when they're showing some of the symptoms for some of the other eating disorders, but don't meet all of the criteria. Um, how about um, Tony? Do you have yeah, any more so to elaborate I would on that? I agree. Like there are clear, like there is a diagnosis criteria. Um, but I think for for layman's terms, for people, I think when they need to know when it when they really really need to get help is if it's taking over your mm. life like if it's literally to the point where you're not socializing where you're feeling sick every day um where you're you feel completely out of control and you can't even like go to work or go to school or it's just all you think about and obsess about that's really where we want to really get help um, another another diagnosis that they're going to start to put into the criteria that they haven't yet is orthorexia, which you could probably do an entire podcast about. And yeah, or, yeah but in oh, short, completely. orthorexia <laughs> is 
the intention is not about the weight. Like, so it's not about getting to a certain weight. So although people might have, have symptoms that appear of someone who's anorexic who decreases their calorie intake, it's more of just about being obsessed with having their food to be absolutely perfect and healthy and coming knowing where the source comes from to a point where they once again they can't go out and socialize with their friends or family members because they don't know where that chicken came from and it makes them literally it just like drives them insane all day long and because they don't it's not the most healthy perfect item they can't consume it and that's more like orthorexia so a lot of it has to do with the mindset behind it and then the symptoms to be honest what I, I actually so I worked in an eating disorder clinic for two years my first job being as a registered dietitian I was an outpatient yeah and I with which the most interesting thing I find with eating disorders is not everyone has they have a mental like physi physiologically they might not look like someone with anorexia but their mental state is someone with anorexia and like you were saying earlier if we don't interject yeah. early on eventually they might more than likely will get to a state where it's unsafe and unhealthy and then not only do we have to fix their mental health but then we now have to fix their physical health and it's always better for early intervention so if anyone's listening this is definitely something that we might be saying things that might trigger you. Um, but if anything that we're saying is bringing something up, definitely um, reach out to to get help. And there's no shame in getting help. And the sooner you get help, the faster you can recover. And um, I'm pretty sure, Emmeline, you're going to talk to the things that have kind of helped you through it. And we can probably help. Yeah, I can... I can completely agree. Um, obviously, eating disorders by nature are quite an isolating condition, as most mental illnesses are. They make you try and um, hide and obscure your behavior, partly out of um, just fear and uh, heavily out of shame as well. You feel quite ashamed that these behaviors that you know that you wouldn't ever fathom in your normal uh, daily lives um, are suddenly part of how you act and you don't want anyone to recognize that and there does to some degree a lot of people with eating disorders are worried that people are judging how they eat or judging how they might not eat and this um this idea of others monitoring your food and how you're eating and bodily um appearance looks to others um can become quite a ingrained part of an eating disorder but one of the things that people um, that charities use and that um, other institutes use as an easy indicator for those initial questions of do I maybe have an eating disorder is known as the SCOF questionnaire. So S-C-O-F-F. So um, you don't have to meet all of the criteria, but the questions simply are, do you make yourself sick because you feel uncomfortably full? Do you worry you've lost control over how much you eat? Have you recently lost one stone in a three-month period? Again, body isn't all that goes into it, but it's something that you might consider. Do you believe yourself to be fat when others say that you're too thin or that you're not fat? And do you think that food dominates your life? And if you can say yes to two or above, then you might need to look further into your relationship with food, your body, and um, whether or not you might have a problematic eating pattern. In so what are, what are, I guess, some of the red flags... Um 
that whether you're, you know, somebody maybe dealing with it or somebody on the outside, like what are some of the things that you should be looking for? I guess, you know, another question would be kind of how do they, how, how do some of the disorders kind of manifest themselves um, from somebody, again, on the outside or from on the inside who maybe isn't, you know, as self-aware? Like what are those red flags? It's good that you point that out because um, it is so hard to tell these symptoms sometimes and a lot of people don't actually know them. Um, so actually more than one in three adults in the UK when they took a 2018 survey recently couldn't name a single symptom of an eating disorder, um, which is problematic for anyone who might be struggling or for anyone who cares about someone who might be struggling. And I think the important thing to look for is um, their relationship with their food, how they're treating it. Perhaps you haven't seen them eat recently, or perhaps when they do eat, it's very, very restricted. They might play with their food. Um, when they look at themselves, they might actually start grabbing at their body, or they might show a discontentment. There might be a dissatisfaction with the way that they look that they keep on saying. Um, they might be irritable. They might be tired. Um, they may wear clothing that is too big for them in order to try and hide their body. This is um, particularly common among someone who has anorexia. And um, again, more to the point, it's the mental aspect of it. So there might be low self-worth, stress, um, a certain amount of fear that is um, shown when it comes to the idea of eating or not eating certain foods or eating or not eating at certain times. Um, they might show fear of others seeing them eat. Um, and these are the signs that we can start to see when it comes to eating disorders or, or potential eating disorders, where obviously they, um, or at least in my experience, I didn't feel like I was good enough and self-worth played into it quite a lot. And people might feel like or can, can continue saying that they're just not good enough. They're not eating the right things. They're not looking the right way or just in life. They're not performing the right way. So, oh, Justin, Justin has been here, but he's been weird. So we have to introduce yeah. Justin to the podcast. Yeah, so yeah, it's made the whole last 20 minutes kind of annoying because Justin's been ashamed to talk and he was hoping that you'd ask why he's why he's ashamed oh. to talk. So now we're going to segue away from our topic for this oh. dumb little thing that Justin wants why to Why are you ashamed to talk, Justin? I can't tell you. <sighs> oh, go on, go on. Well, unfortunately... Yeah. It's a serious topic. Yeah, we have I mean, to have an intermission right. here. It's, 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 it's uh, yeah... And I have a, a bunch of important questions I want to ask you too about this. But I'm uh, just ashamed that uh, I've, I've started eating meat again. Um, I know, I know. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen. <laughs> you gave it a good effort, and you never know, you might change I did, your eating I did. Just, at some uh, point you know, in life. my tummy. <laughs> so I had to. Uh, uh, yes, I was listening to a podcast while I was running when I discovered that. And I had this moment of just, I held my arms up into the sky like, no, why? <laughs> yeah. No, it's okay. Yeah. I, um, yeah, well, it I, happens. I, I feel bad about that. I've been feeling, that was the, um, you were the first person I thought of when I, when I started eating meat again. I was like, oh, mine's not going to be very happy with me. Oh. <laughs> 
Oh, bless you. No, but um, your, your eating standards and your eating habits do not have to conform okay. to my preferences. <laughs> well, um, well, I have an important question. Uh, back, back to the topic at hand. Mm. So what about, uh, or what would you have to say to, to someone that looks at an eating disorder and says, wow, what a first world problem. We have this abundance of food and yet someone's starving themselves or someone's purging or people just don't, they just don't have self-control or you know, something like that. Mm. What would you tell someone who shares mm. or who has that belief? Or, or a group of people that might share that belief. Hmm, that's an interesting question. I think, to some degree, our current relationship with mental health and uh, mental health awareness in general, not just eating disorders, is, um, if we're being completely honest with ourselves, a first world privilege, if not a problem. Um, we are in a position where we are not struggling day to day with such hardships that we can actually sit down and take the time to address our mental health, whereas some people might not even have that chance. And in that way, if we then notice that we do have problems, that is a problem that has come about within our first world environment. So I guess there is a, um, a certain accuracy to that assertion, but it's not necessarily a negative thing because it means that we can address and help ourselves in ways that others might not have the the privilege to be able to do, which is important. In terms of willpower, and oh, these people are just lacking in willpower. Uh, the thing is that with um, people with eating disorders, one of the things that you'll typically notice about the um, mental pattern, and it's even... Um, considered to be one of the things to keep an eye on in terms of um, the diagnosis from BEAT, the UK mental health charity. People with eating disorders tend to be perfectionists, <laughs> uh, sometimes to a fault, definitely when it comes to food and body image. And there is an immense amount of willpower that is actually being exerted when someone is trying to, for example, deprive themselves of food for an entire day or um, who are actually constantly thinking about this thing. There's a lot of will that goes into that. And to some degree, that is the problem. Because when we say that people are or should depend on willpower, willpower is a, it's a finite resource. It's not something that we should rely on. It's not necessarily something that we're lacking in if we find ourselves failing or if we consider ourselves to be at fault with our willpower. Nobody can exert power for an indefinite amount of time i mean power by definition is an, ex an exertion of force and we can only exert force for so long until we have to have a break and um people who are struggling with an eating disorder and do find that they are seeking help to me they are the people who have actually um, taken a brave step and realized that they, they're going to burn themselves out if they're constantly relying on this willpower and that it's not a failing of character if you can't hold yourself in an unhealthy situation, first of all, but in any situation, just by willpower alone, because we don't get anywhere successful with that. The successful way to move forward in anything, and that's including an eating disorder, have um, eating disorders or uh, mental health, is to look towards 
creating and then maintaining positive habits, sustainable habits that we can bring into our everyday lives and that will actually help us where willpower isn't something that we can always rely on. So um, can you tell us a little bit more, go deeper into your own recovery? Like how were you able to, to recover from it? And I guess... Also, how do you maintain that? Because like with anything, I'm sure, you know, it's, it's always a work in progress. And um, so I'd love to know a little bit more about the steps you took, how you got help and uh, what you continue to do to maybe make sure that you're, you, you know, you, you don't fall back into that. Yes, of course. Um, so for me, the moment that I acknowledged to myself that it was a problem, I acknowledged it to everyone around me. So I really opened up and not everyone will be able to do this. And there is no shame if you cannot take that step to opening up and communicating. But I do believe that it is a very powerful and a very helpful way to get those first bits of um, care that you need and treatment that you need. But I also then turn to, I've mentioned them just briefly now, Beat the UK Eating Disorder um, charity and I looked at any local resources and help services that might be in place and through that I actually found a local peer support group which is a godsend because unfortunately the NHS um, our National Health Service is a wonderful amazing service and I cannot fault them in any way but they're a very stressed service so there isn't actually too much in the way of medical help and support for those struggling with eating disorders um, so peer-based support groups were really what helped me get through those initial struggles. And I still go to one, even though I consider myself in a currently recovered state, I still go to my local one every single fortnight. And I still maintain a relationship with Beat the UK Eating Disorder Charity and even do some work for them. But another thing that was really crucial for me was that when I did finally admit to myself that I had a problem... I had a marathon to run in less than a month <laughs> and I was actually doing that marathon and raising money for that marathon in, um, in honor of my nan who sadly passed away from cancer. So for me, it was a case of not just this eating disorder will kill me if I don't recover, but also I really want to do this thing in my life, which I feel will help honor the memory of someone I cared about. And I know that in my current state, I will not be able to do that. It's, I'm not going to say it's impossible to run a marathon while struggling with an eating disorder, but it's a very, very difficult task. Your body needs food to get through something like that. Your body needs to be functioning. You need to nourish yourself. Um, there is nothing wrong, and I'm going to say that for anyone right now who is struggling with an eating disorder, there is nothing wrong with nourishing your body and with giving it the energy that it needs to get through not necessarily a marathon, but definitely the day. We need to be able to get through the day. So knowing that I had this event coming up, I really, really um, tried to buckle down and use that as a focal point for that initial recovery and for that initial discomfort that I knew I was going to have when, it's, when it came to sort of restoring my eating pattern and my relationship with my body to something more normal. And from there, from that experience, I would say that that was a very strong defining moment in not only my eating disorder recovery but also obviously where I've gone forward in my life and I think that it got me to recognize that my body is capable of so much and 
it comes down to so much more than just the number on the scales or how it looks in the mirror or something something like that which can to some degree matter but is such a minute part of our lives and for me the experiences that i have in life are now something that i cherish and where i can take things so shifting gears a little bit what about the media mm-hmm. social media um the diet industry yeah fitness industry everything, all of those uh, entities, do you believe that they play a role in eating disorders that people might have, whether it's comparing yourself to others, wanting to look a certain way, um, being obsessed with a diet trend, anything along those lines? Do you think that 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 plays into the issues at hand? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, 100%. I'm not going to completely throw social media under the bus because it's also a great tool for recovery if used correctly. But um, just like anything, you can use it positively or you can abuse it horrendously. And sadly, we are in, uh, when it comes to fitness, it is an industry that values to some degree, especially in terms of social media presence and putting yourself out there and marketing yourself in a certain way, um, looks um, there is a lot of the fitness industry that is targeting the um, um, the obesity crisis that we have now, which is, again, it's valid. But if you're someone with an eating disorder, you might not recognize that when these people are talking about this 12-week transformation where it's all about losing body weight, uh, losing body weight and stuff like that, it's not necessarily speaking to them. And they might still adopt it as something that they need to do because of body dysmorphia, even though technically they're already in a good place they're not the target audience for that and obviously when it comes to seeing many of the fitness shots we're looking at people's uh you know the best of moments of their lives and um sometimes that can include the best of moments of their body so uh, you're looking at people you're comparing you're despairing that's the common phrase as, as well and um it's something that you have to be mindful of and negate but at the same time, we cannot say that it's the only factor of an eating disorder. There are, there are yeah, so many different factors. I will factors. say, though, because I do have personal clients who struggle with eating disorders, and they've you know, mentioned to me that sometimes looking at social media, it makes them feel you know, ashamed of their body because they're not what they see and they're working on it. And yeah. if whatever you're looking at doesn't make you feel good, unfollow them. Like, do not, like, that one good thing about social media is it can connect people in a positive way. So follow people that embrace, you know, what you want to be, which is someone who's proud of their body no matter what it looks like or who's healthy, who's taking care of themselves. I can't really say what that is for each person because everyone believes, you know, there's a different version of how they can be healthy in their mind, and that's fine. But the idea is, you know, if someone, if people that you're following are making you feel less ignore like just don't but if you have to like digest and like not be on social media for a little bit do that like whatever makes you feel good that's what you want to do if it doesn't make you feel good get rid of it yeah i'd even go a step further and say use social media to your advantage and own it so identify and follow recovery or charity group that you know will post up motivationals Mm -hmm. that can help you get through the day and uh, save any of the images that you find on there that you like keep them on your phone 
in a separate folder if you need to. And then when you're struggling, use those positive social media things that you've got to help you. And beyond that, start following other interests and passions that you care about and that you feel will drive you and motivate you in life because it at the end of the day it's not all going to be about your eating disorder and you want to move past that and see a life beyond it and social media can help with that so much but if you find yourself looking at an image and you can feel those problematic thoughts emerging then it is important to unfollow so if al- you need along to. Along the same lines, but I guess a little bit more specifically, um, do you think that like the diet industry itself shoulders a lot, some of the blame for this? And then also, you know, I'm assuming you're going to say yes, but um, you know, if so, you know, how mm-hmm. how do you steer the industry itself in the right direction without impacting profits? Because clearly, um, the industry makes a ton of money um, for you know practices that that arguably you know really harm people but how do you how is there a way to steer it you know without again uh, impacting the profits i'd love to know what you think about that yeah so let's be completely realistic here and say that most of the companies that are selling weight reduction products are probably more interested in making the profit rather than necessarily helping the um the people who might struggle with an eating disorder, unfortunately. I, I hate to say that, and I love to think the best of people, but at the same time, I know it's realistic that people who are trying to make money will continue to want to make money. Um, at the same time, I think that the best way to move forward, and I'm starting to see it in social media more now as well, and obviously in places like the Gym Wits and uh, Tips with Tony, is to try and move towards more of an idea of if we do need to manage our weight in a certain way, if that is something we need to look at, let's think of it in terms of weight management and performance, what our bodies can do and ways to build up our bodies and our lives in constructive manners rather than ways to shrink ourselves down so i think a good way to go about it is not to not to think necessarily about shooting for weight loss but to try and shoot for quality of life gain and the way that we can enrich our lives through seeking fitness and the thing is that a thin body isn't necessarily a fit body what we want is to be able to perform in life, especially when it comes to all of the things that matter, not just fitness, but being able to just enjoy the day without feeling tired or constantly thinking about food. So when, wow, <laughs> that was an interesting horn. <laughs> but um, I think when these companies are trying to target people, it should be about making a body capable rather than making well, it slim. Uh... We can we can hope for that. Hopefully, it's not just pie in the sky. Even though, sadly, I I think that is that that's what it is. I, I'm looking outside. I can see the pie. Uh-huh. It's just flying by along with the. <laughs> I think as long as there are profits to be made, people or companies are going to use yeah. the, not the most scrupulous means. But um, maybe things will will change if if enough people. You know, either stop buying products or really start protesting against them. But we'll we'll see if that ever happens. I'm gonna add just um, so yeah. big weight loss companies. If you're struggling with an eating disorder, I don't recommend seeking that as your solution. However, following registered dietitians yeah. that use the hashtag. If you're talking about social media, intuitive eating. 
most dietitians who believe in intuitive mm. eating is, is teaching people how to be mindful of their food choices, how to assess if they're hungry or full, how to, you know, look at food as a way, is this going to, you know, do I want this? Do I need this? It really just help, allows you to check in with yourself. And it's a different method that people use. And trust me, if you have a registered dietitian mm. who is specializes in intuitive eating it's because they want to help you it doesn't you know yes they need to make money you know they are in business but it's more because they want to help you and i think that following you know individuals who can relate to you who've helped people similar to you those are the type of people to seek versus you know the big companies that like you were saying just probably just trying to get the, trying to get your money that's not really going to help in any way just going to put a band-aid on it until you get the real help. Yeah, absolutely. And I completely agree with and um, condone intuitive eating. I think it's a fantastic tool and it's something that is um, encouraged yeah. quite a lot in eating disorder recovery. I also like to highlight that it's something that people with eating disorders often mm -hmm. struggle with a lot. And um, sometimes it can be, too big of an initial step it's something to work towards but the thing is for someone with an eating disorder they've spent so long either with their body in a state of um, complete deprivation or perhaps being overfull that when they're trying to figure out their body's internal signals right. they've blocked them out for so long mm -hmm. they don't necessarily know what it is I mean when I was trying to eat, I just didn't like mm. the feeling of being full, even though for most people that is a, a good cue, like the, the, the satisfied fullness. For me, that was too much at one point. And so you have to, um, a good rule of thumb for some people, and I'm not going to be able to recommend or speak to anyone's current individual um, situation, but this is something that some people employ, is just to eat every four hours or something like that. They'll, they'll work with a dietitian, and I do advise working with a dietitian if you can a qualified one and they'll find out a way to initially ease themselves into an eating pattern so that eventually their body can come back to that intuitive state and when it does it is yeah. scary and fantastic and sometimes the hardest thing about recovering from an eating disorder is learning mm -hmm. to trust mm -hmm. your body again and learning to actually yeah have you said a, a very important point which is intuitive eating is like the big goal in the beginning, when you work with the dietitian, the dietitian's going to meet you where you're at. You're going to work at very small goals. They're not going to force food down your throat. They're not going to expect you to never binge again or never purge again. Whatever you're struggling with, we, we know that it's a process and it takes time. But eventually, the ultimate goal is to be able to check in with yourself, know when you're hungry, know when you're full, eat when you want, not versus what you're trying to fight against, you know, um... Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I think it's important to say as well mm -hmm. that sometimes you will slip up and it's just a case of a, right. a lapse is not a collapse mm -hmm. and you Absolutely. can recover from that. So I'm wondering something. Now, I don't have any experience with dealing or knowing anyone with an eating disorder, though I believe I, I have known people with it, but I've never... Um, I don't want to use the word confront, but I've never brought it up to them as an issue. It was, um, I never saw uh, a case that, that I felt warranted me saying anything, but I have certainly seen yeah. something similar to that, which is people that had uh, struggled with alcohol or other substances, 
and bringing it up to them is a very, very sensitive topic. You see a few different responses. One is a big-time denial it's, ah, like or downplay, like, I don't have a problem. Yeah, it's like, whatever, something like that. One is uh, of anger, basically saying, you know, mind your own business. Uh, it can... Yeah. And one is sort of admitting and saying, yeah, you're right, I need to do this, but then never doing anything. So those, that's sort of things that I've noticed. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's similar for an eating disorder. I would think that it might be if you were to to talk to someone ab- about that. Yeah. So with that being said, if you have a friend or loved one that you believe is in trouble because of an eating disorder, is there a, a way to bring it up to them? And what might you expect besides some of the, I guess, some of the things that I just mentioned? <laughs> um, ask them how they're doing in life. Just ask, how have you been recently? Um, how are you handling things? How's life treating you? Um, again, oftentimes the eating disorder is a manifestation of a struggle. And, and if you go straight for those behavioral patterns that, again, a lot of people are ashamed of, they are going to, they're going to knee jerk. They're going to, they're going to hide. They might get angry. They might deny. They might panic. Again, it, it might even trigger a fight or flight or something internally. And they're just going to seize up. But, if you come to someone and you're just generally asking, so, so how have things been? You know, have you been struggling recently? Or I, you know, I'm a bit worried about you because you know you're looking a bit tired. Or you know, just and then let them talk. And if they don't come to it straight away, that's fine. Um, you don't have to mention food or their body. To some degree, that's not even where you want to target your focus. Your focus is on their their mental health and well being and allowing them the space to open up in their own time about that can sometimes be a crucial point because um, if someone came up to me while I was struggling before I came out personally, I would not have told them. Um, I just wouldn't have. I was so scared. Um, I was so ashamed and it's so um, counter to everything else that you know about yourself and every other way that you present yourself that to some degree, you, you don't want to confront it yourself and you definitely don't want others to be pointing it out to you. So if someone does come out and say, yes, I, I, need, I, I need some sort of help, what can you recommend? I know you had mentioned yeah. the, the, the peer groups. I guess that, that's the, the main source yeah. of treatment. Is there any other treatment? Uh, is that what you would, what would you recommend if someone was asking you, where should I go for help? I would I would advise that they go and see their local medical profession, uh, professional. So here we can go to the NHS, but obviously whatever the US equivalent would be, I would recommend that um, definitely because sometimes you may not be able to get immediate help with that, but you need to flag it as soon as possible. From there, I would say look online at the uh, certified recognized charities in your country or area see what they can do or provide to help you with, see what reading they recommend. They might have podcasts. They might have other endorsed um, things that you can use. And also um, I would suggest that you could recommend them that maybe they could see a dietitian, a registered dietitian, if they're in the position so to do so. this might be a, uh, an ignorant question, but are uh, these eating disorders, and I don't remember if you had touched on this earlier, are these actually... Um, clinically or, or, or a medical 
sort of medically accepted uh, as as a as a problem, so that the you would go see a doctor for this yeah. and it's accepted as a, a medical condition. Yes, as long as they okay. take you through the criteria and you're diagnosed and you meet the criteria, then yes. Other than that, if you still feel like you're struggling but you're not meeting all of the criteria and the doctors don't think that they can offer you support systems because of that particular reason, there is nothing to stop you from going to a peer support group, from calling a help charity, from reading the books that you need, from seeking out a dietitian who has experience with this and saying, I have a disordered relationship with food and I do feel like I need help. So whereas you may not get full medical support, there are definitely loads of support systems in place that you can take um, sort of advantage of. And if there aren't, you could always be proactive and look into maybe starting your own. I mean, our group specifically started because there was someone in the area who recognized that there wasn't much in the way of peer, uh, peer support for us. Yeah, and so and we started yeah, it out. I do find that when people are in charge of helping other people while helping themselves, they're more likely to to actually help themselves in it when it comes to when it comes to a you know recovery yeah. from something like an eating disorder or improving their health and wellness um, and then one other thing I just want to add is usually um, like it's very uncommon my clients also are in therapy like if you should also seek a therapist because there's usually like yeah. you know Emmeline you said you were struggling with depression and anxiety and this is just how it manifested um, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes it's, you know, an undiagnosed, which we realized later was ends up there, end up being di diagnosed with OCD, um, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, or just like, just really, really stressed out from work and from life and learning to manage those in a healthier way. You know, a dietitian can help with your food, but there are certain things that we cannot do. And that's where a therapist is able to help in that area. And it usually all works together. Absolutely. And cognitive behavioral therapy mm -hmm. has such a good success rate, I think, uh, especially because it does foster those positive habits and um, focus on sort of noticing and trying to veer away from the negative coping tactics that we've employed in a poor mental health state. So I, I guess I have a, a question. Uh, it, it, it almost really doesn't matter based on everything that we've talked about. But mm -hmm. as, a, as a vegan, do you has this yeah. has this played any role on uh, on on the eating or were were you a vegan at the time? So I was. Did it, yes. Did it affect you in any way, or or similarly, if you if you know about this, do certain diets or eating? Um, I don't want to say restrictive, but what you uh, your your preferred diet or what you eat is there any correlation between that? And an eating disorder, say if someone is vegan or if someone only is paleo or something like that, do we know if there's any um, connection between the two? Um, for me personally, my veganism didn't come into it. And the reason for that is because obviously um, veganism, I don't know if I brought this up in the previous podcast on it, but veganism's kind of taken a funny turn in that um, – Technically, veganism yeah. isn't a dietary sure. movement. Yeah. It's an ethical movement. And diet is just one part of it. And so for me, hmm. it never played into it because 
I never really looked at my veganism as a diet. It was just um, an ethical framework in which certain food groups were and certain food groups weren't. And so um, the foods that I started to binge on and the foods I continued to starve myself or binge on were always vegan foods. And um, it just it wasn't even a consideration for me. But definitely those who are looking at coming into veganism or see veganism purely as the plant-based diet that vegans employ, um, they can use it or any it's other the first um, diet. Like what, I, what my, you know, my yeah, experience is step. usually, especially in teenagers, like the first step is because it's easier. Yeah. No one will question them if they say I'm a vegetarian or I'm a vegan. They're able to yeah. ex- they're, exactly. They can easily exclude the food groups. It becomes restrictive already because it's, you know, yeah. it is restrictive. And, um, yeah, so that is definitely something yeah. to look out for. Um, mm-hmm. It's absolutely something to look out for. And I've known people in my peer support group who went to veganism as something that they could use, or at least the plant-based diet as something that mm-hmm. they could use to restrict more food. And they've, they've even said to me now, I, I just, I love the ethical side of veganism, but I'm just not sure with my eating disorder if it's a safe thing to return to right now. And I've said to them, yeah. don't, don't tackle that. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about your recovery. Do not get into anything that you feel might jeopardize that and certainly if you're looking at any diet keto vegan paleo um, vegan keto which just sounds like hell to me but some people do do it (laughs) Um, i love my carbs too much (laughs) but um if you are looking at any diet and your main thinking behind actually adopting it isn't this will sustain me healthily in the long term, but rather this is going to help me restrict my food or cut my weight, then you might need to assess whether or not that is a sensible path to go down, especially if you know you struggle yeah. with problematic eating. Definitely. Definitely. Cool. Also, might I just say that any... Um, sort of situation where you are also going down diet that condone <laughs> 20 calorie two hour depressing <laughs> items as part of a uh, healthy routine yeah. i would also suggest that that well, is not you guys haven't heard of the algae thing. diet <laughs> <laughs> oh no 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 so, <laughs> oh god yeah. I, 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 it, I, so, um, I guess shifting gears a little bit. Uh, obviously, your first um, interview with us, you were um, we were talking about your kind of your your website where you review um, adult products. So uh, before we sign off, are there any mm-hmm. interesting developments in the adult product world, or any interesting things that have come out, or yeah, anything interesting in that in that world for you? <laughs> Always. <laughs> um. I believe that there is now a nice and increasing focus on male Kegel tools, which will be of use to some people. Um, definitely fitness enthusiasts. Uh, I told it's funny because I told sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but I told Ryan well over a no? year ago that we should do a podcast on the whole Kegel thing. That's it's important. I know it's it, it is. <laughs> it's a fascinating it, it topic. It's very it is, and you. you I do think that yeah, you should yeah. do a, uh, an episode about it at some point. Um, but 
there's also a lot of shift towards um, oh, sex yeah. tech, sex technology, integrating it with our mobile phones. And also, I'm sure you cannot have failed to miss that there are a lot of life-size dolls now that are going on the market with um, artificial intelligence or similar. And the adult industry are playing into that and seeing where they can take that as well. So, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the the models models that they can use right now aren't necessarily the most convincing thing but it, it's um it's an interesting ethical um and moral debate alongside everything looks else. like we're gonna have to have you on for a fourth time i am a qualified fitness oh, and gym instructor nice. now would you believe <laughs> I know, I know. I literally passed yesterday. So, so you are a Out of curiosity, what, what's the requirements in, in the UK? Uh, we okay. are mostly unregulated. So literally yeah. anyone could claim to be a personal yeah, trainer. I'm not sure if it's the same I'm in the US. Trainer. Wait, is it really? Well, no, yeah, I, I yeah. should say, in the US, there are a number of certifying bodies, but... There and you basically you have about four, three to five that are respected. So if you go to any regular, you know, any kind of higher end gym, um, most businesses are going to require one of the three to five. But there are dozens of others, yeah. and you know, anyone can just say, "Hey, here, you know, I'm certifying trainers." Like, there's no government um, regulation as yeah. far as what you what you need to. to In be fact, if a, you a if, if you uh, if you ride into the gym wits with a <laughs> $468 check, we will certify you as a personal trainer. Ryan will, for sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's Sorry. it. Certified. <laughs> Job's done. Um, the, the way I went for it was an MVQ. Um, so uh, that is a qualification that's done through oh, yeah. the YMCA here. So you take your level two, which is just yeah. fitness and gym instructor, that allows you to actually be in a gym instructing people how to use the equipment and giving just the general guidelines for nutrition. Uh, from there, I will then go on to do a specific level three in personal training. And come the end of the year, I will hopefully be a personal trainer, fingers crossed. Um, so that's the route that I've taken. Um, and I believe that is the most recommended one. But obviously, there are so many other ways that people can do it. They can do online courses. They can do intensive courses. They can go with a gym. Gyms will offer apprenticeships, and they will go through certain bodies. But this is definitely the most legitimate method that you can use. So, yeah, yesterday I um, I got that level two qualification. And uh, um, the Sunday um, – just gone. I also ran a half marathon, so it's been a busy yeah, week for awesome. me. That's great. Definitely, uh, definitely will keep us yeah. updated on how things go with, oh, uh, with the training. Will do, definitely. And uh, keep me updated if you've got a Kegel episode planned. For sure. And the What the Health episode, and God knows how many other health oh, yeah, and diet do documentaries that, that are coming out nowadays. Yeah, I think you, I think you best yeah. conglomerate them at this point into just a a, yeah. a documentary. Sure. Ryan's going to do a, a video of, of, for, for the Kegel episode. <laughs> <laughs> and so we'll leave everyone. We'll leave everyone with that uh. with that that thought. And uh, thank you, Emmeline, as always, for coming on the gym. With you. you're the best. Thank you. 
and you know, good luck, good luck oh, with everything, so and I'm sure that. we'll have you on very soon. Awesome. Thank you. Yes, have a great day. Bye. Bye. So Ryan didn't really mean it was a fun interview. I mean, everything with Emmeline is always awesome and good. I think you you just meant that that was a funny moment, right? In in sort of I the, guess so. I, I don't yeah. know. I mean, <laughs> he tried my, to make it funny, but yeah. it really didn't <laughs> yeah, work. It didn't, it didn't work. Um, and my I, my language skills aren't all that great, so sometimes <laughs> when I'm like, you know, if I'll say it's a fun interview, I just mean it was it was a good interview. Yeah, we had yeah, a good yeah. time. It was insightful. What? But um, yeah, so sometimes I just use fun in place of other wor- other more appropriate words. So maybe yeah, that, yeah, that was it. Well, um, more importantly, if the, this interview impacted you in any way, whether it's something you can relate to or you know someone, I hope that uh, gives some insight into how to go about either getting help, getting help for someone. Uh, you can always write to us yeah. uh, for support. We, we will always do our best to uh, you know, to lend a hand in whichever way we can. Definitely. I would say if you need any help, um, send me an email, tipswithtony at gmail.com or contact me on the Gym With website. And depending on where you live, I, you know, I could probably find a decent resource depending on where you're from. So just make sure you put that and include that when you write in. Cool. All right. Well, I guess that is it. All of our social media stuff is at can be found at thegymwits.com, uh, including the podcast and links to any anything you need. Um, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all that good stuff. Uh, if you haven't yet, please fill out our survey at survey.lispin or sorry, uh, survey.lispin.com slash thegymwits. And um, where can people find you, Tony? On Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Or YouTube, and I actually just relaunched my website www.tipswithtony.com. It looks really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we'll leave uh, Emmeline's stuff. I I totally blanked on asking her to to mention her social media, but if you want to get in touch with her, definitely check the show notes. And that is it. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, aka Chef Sonic, reminding you that truth does not sell. And I'm Tony Marinucci, aka Tips with Tony, your registered dietitian, helping you get healthy one bite at a time. And we are Jim Lips. Lips.